Welcome to the Core Principles Podcast. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you'll enjoy this lively discussion of relevant topics, which we attempt to examine through the lens of unchanging objective truth. Here's the host of the Core Principles Podcast, Clay Howerton. Thank you, Suzanne. I'm very honored to welcome to Core Principles, the best-selling author of The Enemy Within. Thank you for joining me today, David Horowitz. How are you? I'm doing okay, better than our poor country. Yes, sir. I lament that as well. Your new book, The Enemy Within, has a lot of information that is vital for Americans to know and to understand. What motivated you to write this particular book at this particular time? It's, it's, it's been a lifelong work of mine, uh, in a way. I was raised, as you know, by communists. I was uh, one of the founders of the 60s left. Uh, I edited its largest magazine. And I left the left when I saw that it, it wasn't about a peace or justice. They, they weren't opposed to war. Um, when the communists w- won because of the left forcing America to withdraw, they proceeded to slaughter two and a half million Indo-Chinese peasants. It wasn't a single demonstration against that. And I, I dedicated myself, I mean, I, I was 35 at the time, uh, dedicated myself to the struggle against these people because I saw that they would destroy the country. I never dreamed that it would happen so suddenly, but they infiltrated the Democrat Party starting in 1968 and then with the McGovern McGovern campaign in 72. And they succeeded in capturing, controlling the Democrat Party with the election of Barack Obama, who comes from the same background I do. He was raised by communists. The difference is he never left the communist movement. So it was kind of natural. I did a couple of books on Trump and his battles with the left. And I I saw, I can't say I I saw it happening as swiftly as it has, but I saw it happening. I should write a book warning people, explaining their ideology and how they do it. So as you know, it it starts um, with, uh, well, first of all, the Democrat party, one has to understand is is a totalitarian party. The subtitle of my book is How a Totalitarian Movement is Destroying America. And that's the left that took control of the Democrat Party. It's an anti-American party, which you would, you know, you, you would know from a hundred different things. Blowing up our southern border in the midst of a global pandemic shows utter contempt for the American people. Uh, they estimate there'll be a million illegals crossing that border. So in addition to terrorists and sex traffickers and cartel members and common criminals, there will be 10% of them will be COVID carriers. That's 100,000 COVID spreaders invited into the country by Joe Biden, who, you know, one of his egregious sins was during the campaign to accuse Trump of killing every coronavirus patient. Uh, Actually, Trump had no control over the healthcare systems. We have a federal system in our country. And, you know, whether you wear the mask mandates, the lockdowns, the social distancing, it's all in the hands of governors. It's not in Trump's hands. 
Yes, sir. Um, and you would see it with, uh, you know, Biden's first statements, aside from the fact that I have a, an article out on frontpagemag.com, which is, is my website, called The Biden White House, A Diversity of Racists and Anti-Semites. And that's what they are. But Biden, one of his first statements was that systemic racism touches every aspect of American life. That, now, that's a monstrous lie worthy of the Chinese communists or the Iranian mullahs or Putin himself. No, but to have a president of the United States say such a lie is just uh, scarifying, if you will. We outlawed systemic racism in 1964 with the Civil Rights Act. I, I excerpted it in my book, but if you read, you read it, you'll see it specifically says institutional racism and systemic racism are illegal. So if, say, police departments, to pick the current target of the insurrectionists on the left, were systemically racist, there would be a tsunami of lawsuits Think of all, I, you know, assume for a moment what Democrats seem to believe that every, well, they, what they say, every, anybody who disagrees with them is, and is white is a white supremacist. It, it seems know, just a cheap way to win a debate without discussing a topic. Very, very effective. The one thing they're good at is political war. Conservatives would do well uh, without becoming Democrats, too to understand their tactics and strategies and adopt them. But there are thousands of black attorneys, district attorneys, attorneys general, police chiefs, mayors, city council members, members of Congress and so forth, who would be filing lawsuits up the yin yang. If, if the, the Minneapolis Police Department was systemically racist, they would be paying hundreds of millions of dollars in lawsuits, wouldn't they? But there are no lawsuits because they're the only systemic racism in America, although now the Democrats are actually introducing it into all aspects, but until now has been affirmative action, which has an exemption from the Civil Rights Act because of really bad decisions made by the Supreme Court. And if you wonder why the Supreme Court makes such bad decisions, just think of what it is. It's nine lawyers appointed for life by politicians. How could that go wrong? Well, many of us have, have heard, David Horowitz, of the term identity politics. You describe that in your book as cultural Marxism. And yeah. you state that identity politics or cultural Marxism is both racist and totalitarian. Could you unpack that a little bit so listeners can grasp? First thing, the first thing is that it's racist. The Democrat Party is a full-bore racist party. Uh, Jason Whitlock, who's a very astute sports um, writer, has said that the Black Lives Matter movement is the Ku Klux Klan of today. And that's, you know, that, that's literally the truth. And uh, they are totally embraced by the Democrat Party. Now, why do I say so? It's it's racist because if you judge people by their skin color and obscure everything else, 
And when, when I say identity politics is cultural Marxism, it's because Marx it was a crackpot. And I've read more Marxism than uh, Patrice Cullers and the leaders of Black Lives Matter, I assure you. He's a crackpot. He envisioned society, Democrat societies as a sham. The, dem the democracy was a sham. And there was a permanent class war between the corporate rulers of capitalist societies and the proletariat. And what, the, what this left has done is it's substituted for, you know, they hate, well, they hate the capitalists that aren't doing their bidding. Unfortunately, our corporate America is in their pocket right now. They've substituted race and gender for these warring classes. So we're in a war based on race. And these are intrinsic characters no one can change. I think Dr. King would be appalled that everybody's ignoring his message. But it, their claims go down. They want to control the pronouns you use. Jordan Peterson got into a lot of trouble by opposing a Canadian law, which would have criminalized misuse of pronouns. So if somebody is transgendered, and wants their pronoun to be she, not he or she. If you don't use that pronoun, you're, you know, you're a criminal. Well, uh, a philosophy that wants to control every aspect of life, which is what the left does. You're a totalitarian. And they start uh, with the education it's system. Even, it's, it's language. I'm, you know, this infrastructure. Infrastructure now means childcare. But that is what totalitarians do. They don't want you to vote, you know, and they go, okay, so if you knew that they wanted to spend X billion dollars on childcare, you might say, well, that's a good idea, but we actually can't afford it. But by masking it with infrastructure, we know infrastructure is very expensive. Anyway, but the Democrats lie about everything. There's no crisis on the border. We don't have open borders. This is what Totalitarian, you know, look, for people who aren't familiar with the term totalitarian, that's Nazis, fascists, and communists. Those are the totalitarians. And here's why I'm critical of uh, conservatives. They don't use the proper war language. For example, here they're banning Dr. Zeus. They're taking Dr. Zeus off the shelves. And we call that cancel culture. It's book burning. Yes. It's what the Nazis did in the 30s. <laughs> They're book burners, and they also burn films like Peter Pan. And these people want to control your mind. And uh, it was Jefferson, I think I quoted Jefferson in my book, The Enemy Within, uh, that he swore eternal vigilance and fighting every tyranny over the mind of man. Well, the woke left has established a pretty extensive tyranny over the mind of Americans. And they get us young in the education system. You actually quote a manifesto that amazed me. It was written by some students at Pomona College, and it states in part, quote, the idea that there is a single truth, the truth, is just a construct of the Euro West. This construction is a myth 
and white supremacy, imperialism, colonialism, capitalism, and the United States of America are all its progeny, unquote. And this is a $60,000 a year college. Crazy. It's an elite school. That statement you read, if you read the whole statement, is semi-literate. I mean, it's just a disgrace, not only in terms of the think, the non-thinking, but just in terms of the grammar. This is what we've come to. And we, we don't, our university system, these are Maoist universities now. It's just terrible. I wrote five books about the communist takeover of our universities. And uh, one of them did very well called The Professors. But none of them inspired conservatives or Republicans who controlled 30, the purse strings of state colleges in 30 or more states did anything. They have done nothing. They just let these people destroy one of the great university systems of the world. And you point out that it happens earlier as well. You mentioned that there's 13 states where K through 12 curriculum is used from a group called Just Communities. And it states explicitly that all Christians are oppressors of every other human being on planet Earth. It's called forms of oppression. Yes, sir. The oppressor is whites. The oppressed are people of color. When you get to religious oppression, the oppressors are Christians, and the oppressed are all other religions, like the Muslims, who slaughtered hundreds of thousands of Christians in the last decade. It's unbelievable. Where where are the Christians massacring Muslims or or anybody else? They're not. They're They're the most persecuted group along with Jews. Uh, But I think in terms of just the taking of Christian lives is just off the charts. It's just horrendous. And we don't have a government that will stand up for them anymore. We have Biden. Uh, He doesn't know what's happening, so I I don't blame him as much as his enablers. I think Joe Biden is a really nasty piece of work. You know, when he was... No, when, he, when he didn't have dementia, you know, he was a brazen liar. I mean, I, I mean he, he, it, it's jaw-dropping lies that he told. And then if you saw him on the campaign trail, beating up and bullying his supporters because they disagreed with him on some issue. Terrible man. Thin skin for sure. The fact that he's a... He's worth $13 million, and he's had only one job in his life, which is politics. (laughs) You know, he's a crook, too. Now, you talk uh, sometimes in your book about George Orwell and the way that he warned us about totalitarianism very cleverly. You mentioned that the left tries to criminalize unwanted thought, and you, you noted that here. You say, quote, a hate crime is a thought crime. And every totalitarian regime in history from the Spanish Inquisition all the way through Stalin's show trials has outlawed unwanted thought, unquote. Now, I'm shocked to see this happening here in America, as you pointed out, David Horowitz. 47 of the 50 states have hate crime legislation. Blood crimes. Why are Americans unfazed by this, do you suppose? Well, I think there's a lot of complacency. I think America's been such a prosperous and victorious country that people just couldn't take the threat seriously. And I think the language that we use in these battles, like, you know, can't cancel culture 
where, you know, you find Republicans, not just any Republicans, or Kevin McCarthy, but they all do it, calling these totalitarian racists liberals. Yes. What are they liberal about, except hard drugs, sex, spending other people's money, coddling criminals, and uh, aiding and abetting our enemies. That's what they're liberal about. The term uh, status. They're bigots. Yes. I mean, the persecution, you know, I wrote a whole book on the, on the war against Christian, Christian America. But the persecution of Christians is ongoing and supported by the White House. It was Obama was the most anti-Christian president, anti-religious president for that matter, in our history. But Biden, uh, the Biden White House is doing the same thing. And it's they want to control. They, they say that to them, religious freedom is you can, you know, have any idea you want, but keep it to yourself. And if you don't, it becomes hate speech. This is something I really wanted to ask you about, David Horowitz, is uh, you note that going from these hate crimes to hate speech is just an easy step. It's not even a slippery slope. It's just one step removed. It's now true that, according to the left, even things like Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, is hate speech. Male and female, he created them. They can't stand that. And they say, if you say that, it's hate speech. The wisest words ever written about our present predicament uh, is the first chapters of Genesis. It's all there. And uh, the left is there in the the form of the serpent. Adam and Eve, we had paradise. You know, the the left is delusional. And it thinks if it can control everybody's mind, it can produce a society which is perfect, which everybody's equal. There's no racism or sexism or homophobia or um, wars or poverty. And we actually had a paradise that was better than the Green New Deal. And in Eden, the, the condition of being in paradise, of having a perfect society, was that people should not want to do evil, not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that's the one thing that Adam and Eve wanted to do. And how were they seduced into doing it? Because the serpent, the devil, said, if you eat of that tree, you shall be as God. That explains the left. They're intoxicated. They think of themselves as gods. That's why they kill so many people when they have power. It's not like the Bolsheviks came to power in Russia and said, hey, you know, we're going to slaughter 40 million people and star- we're going to starve all the peasants uh, that don't get on board our program, which they did. They didn't say that. What, what was their slogan? Peace, land, and bread. Social justice. That's the siren song by which they seduce people. We've got more to talk about with best-selling author David Horowitz, and we will conclude this discussion on our next episode. Thank you, David, for your new book, The Enemy Within, and for joining me on Core Principles to discuss it. Now it's time for our special historical segment, featuring a practical example of how core principles are applied. Today's historical example comes from 
the book On This Day, written by Dr. Paul Barkey. On the 20th of April, 1864, the food ration of the Confederate prisoners of war was cut after reports of maltreatment of Union prisoners in Confederate prisons. The Commissary General of the United States advocated for the reduction of rations for prisoners by half. Later in June of that year, the War Department officially ordered a 20% reduction in the ration for prisoners. Additionally, in August, another order was circulated forbidding prisoners from purchasing food from the camp settlers. Reports in northern papers, particularly of the treatment of Union soldiers at Andersonville Prison, brought about a desire by some to retaliate against Confederate prisoners. Reports of the treatment of Southern prisoners at the Elmira, New York, and Alton, Illinois prisons have been well documented. In July of 1864, an observatory was built across from the prison in Elmira. A horse-drawn bus brought sightseers from downtown for a fee of 10 cents. Refreshment stands were set up offering ginger cakes, lemonade, peanuts, crackers, beer, and whiskey. While the voyeurs were enjoying their snacks, the prisoners were dying of starvation and other diseases commensurate with malnutrition. The federal government purchased land for a cemetery and set up a carpentry shop to build caskets. In the harsh New York winter, the prisoners were refused blankets, coats, and insulating materials for their barracks. For most of that time, monthly death tolls in the prisons was about 300. Dorothea Dix, who had been so greatly instrumental in reforming mental institutions, visited Elmira Prison as part of the Sanitary Commission, a private organization that provided support and supplementary rations for northern soldiers. The commission issued a report that prisoners were being treated with all consideration and kindness. It was later reported that during her visit, in which she was not allowed to visit the worst of the barracks, more than a dozen Confederate prisoners died. Our natural reaction when someone has done evil to us is to strike back with some measure of revenge, but God instructs us that he alone will mete out revenge. Our direction is to demonstrate love to those who hate and mistreat us, and in so doing, according to Proverbs 25:21, we effectively heap coals of fire upon the heads of our tormentors and ultimately the Lord will reward us. A fascinating event in the Old Testament occurred when an attacking army of our Arameans was approaching. The king, fearing for his country, requested the assistance of the prophet Elisha. In the morning, Elisha's servant approached the prophet with great concern because the enemy had surrounded the city. Elisha told him not to be afraid because the force that was with them was more than the forces of the enemy. Elisha prayed, and the servant's eyes were opened to see the hills full of horses and chariots of fire, which referred to God's angels of protection. As the enemy began to approach, Elisha prayed again, and the attackers were struck with blindness. Elisha then led the blind army to Samaria. The king of Israel asked Elisha what he should do with them. Should he kill them? Elisha instructed the king, they were prisoners and were not to be killed, and they should prepare a great feast for them instead. 
once they had eaten, he should send them back to the king of Aram. The king did as he was told, and the invading soldiers returned home, never to bother Israel again. Core Principles Podcast is produced in Paducah, Kentucky by Real Productions. Music is by Late July, L-E-I-G-H-T July. You can find our music on all streaming services or at latejuly.com. Thank you for joining us today for this episode of the Core Principles Podcast. Please visit core.buzzsprout.com for more information. And please share with your friends. We look forward to visiting with you again on our next episode.